Wait for it. <laughs> Dead. It's Halloween. We got to have fun with it. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth it stops growth dead in his tracks. I'm Dave Darrington. And I am spooky Adam Avermescu. And we oh, are I happy. <laughs> I, uh, Dave Dave Darrington of the dead. <laughs> or diabolic Dave Diabolic Dave Darrington. <laughs> and well, now I've lost mine. But we are super happy to be here on National Frankenstein Friday for a spooky episode of C-Lab. Okay, you know, so- it's also National Candy Corn Day. Well, yeah. Haven't we done an episode on National Candy Corn Day before? Probably. It's just so good. Or at least I like the ones with the chocolate. They're, they make chocolate candy corn? Yeah. It's got, you know, instead of the what white, orange, yellow, it's got white, chocolate, yellow. All right. I guess I, guess I have my uh, assignment. I'm going to try to find that. Okay. So maybe not a spooky episode, but a seasonal episode nonetheless. And, and why is that, Dave? Why is it seasonal? Well, we're coming to the end of... Conference season. (laughs) Oh, that sounds spooky. It's just, okay, I'm going to stop doing that now. Yeah, so that's right. This is is the time of year where we see conferences like DevLearn, which we actually spoke at last year, Mm -hmm. Uh, the the Guild, uh, formerly known as the eLearning Guild. They run their learning conference, uh, Learning 2020, this year. Uh, And this year, for the first time ever, we had a three-week run of customer education conferences. Yes. Yeah, pretty yeah, they cool. Were, they, they were cool. They were all... Now, I, I think what we appreciate is that they were all online, so it may travel a whole lot less of a, of a conundrum. Um, and, you know, we're in the midst of COVID. Travel's not happening. Gathering restrictions are a big deal. But in a way, this may have enabled us to see what we saw last year, right? We saw three customer education conferences in a row. So what were they, Adam? Yeah, this year we this year not last year, right? Like we we couldn't have traveled oh, yeah, yeah. to all yeah. the ones that we did last year. This year we were actually able to do it. So it was great. The, so the fun started with uh, Sedma's annual conference called Sedma Connect. It continued with Skilljar Connect the next week. So I guess uh, mm-hmm. Connect is the name of the game. So theme. Uh, exactly. We've spoken at both of these conferences before, but we were actually uh, joined this year with a new third conference, Thought Industries Cognition. Yeah, that's good. Different name. So that's awesome. And instead of recapping, uh, what we'd like to do here is just to roll up. Um, I think last last time we did this, last year we did this, we basically had separate topics. This time we're going to roll it all into one and um, talk about some of the themes and the trends that we saw grouped into this. So Absolutely. let's go ahead and get started. Let's do it. So before we talk about any of the individual conferences, maybe we can talk a little bit just about the the feel this year. Because with the shift to online conferences, Dave, you and I were talking about this, yeah. uh, a lot of pros, a lot of cons, and frankly, a lot of learnings for those of us who are in the online learning space. Because guess what? We're going to be having to run uh, online events for, for quite a while and possibly forever. Not because we'll be kept inside forever, but because the, the business landscape has changed. So yeah. Dave, I'm curious, uh, as we as we saw all the online conferences this year, what were some of the, the pros from your perspective? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
I think the number one thing that just stands out to me, hands down, and and again, you and I both manage teams. We've got folks that are interested in these conferences too, and we want them to attend. So for me, outright, it's flexibility, number one. I actually really dug the half-day, multi-day span, the format that I could say, okay, morning, cool, I've got this conference I'm going to attend. I'd select my meetings and then, but I still had my afternoons to work and to reflect and actually keep up with stuff. So I don't know about you, but for me, that was easier lift. I can, I can easily jump into stuff. Uh, I didn't have to fly around. Uh, it was, it was just wonderful. I was able to keep up with the things that I needed to do. I didn't have this massive inbox filled when I got home. Yeah, because they were both centered around different time zones, as well as uh, in, mm-hmm. in general, I think just trying to be sensitive to to people's schedules and engagement levels. I, I appreciated that they were they were shorter runs during the day. And yeah, I think were. it was like I mentioned, it was easier for us as speakers too, right? If we wanted to do all three of these conferences three weeks in a row, we would have had to fly from uh, well, Nashville is where the Sedma conference was last year. I don't know where they would have mm-hmm. done it this year. But we would have to fly from wherever they did it to Seattle to Boston uh, within three weeks of each other. And I don't know if we would have been able to do all three. No, arguably, I think we would have had to pick and choose. And I, th- that would be a bummer. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And, and what we're trying to do is like bring out why. Um, the I think we it also, and I know I'll probably mention this again because I'm really excited about it there was a lot more engagement than I really actually would have expected. And in particular, the highlight of that is uh, Skilljar's use of Hopin. Um, you know that there was all this chatter around. You could actually talk to people. You could actually get that experience of, um, you know, I'll talk about this later. You could actually get more of the real conference experience, which I didn't expect. And it was a delight. Yeah. Hopin, uh, so of that course, being the, the conference platform that, that they used. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in terms of tooling, well, yeah, we will. We'll come back to tooling. But uh, Sedma also used Mentimeter during mm-hmm. some of their sessions to add interactivity. So we did see some really interesting use of uh, technology during the sessions, which was cool. Uh, yeah, actually, that was really cool because all three se- all three conferences had a different flair, right? They had their thought industries use their own platform, if I remember correctly. So they did. They used their own mean? platform plus uh, Zoom. It, which was cool, and it worked really flawlessly. And there's some features in that that I really dug. You know, Skillshare used Hopin, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Uh, Sedma's platform worked well too. All three of them had, you know, net positive in the flexibility department. I think it was pretty cool. Yeah, and we can we can talk some pros and cons uh, about that specifically. But before we before we move to the cons, uh, I think from a recording perspective too, you found that a lot easier, right? Well, yeah. I mean, think about what we do day to day now. Every time I know my training team goes out to do whether bespoke custom training or uh, instructor led that we have scheduled, we record all of it. So if somebody says, hey, after the fact, I missed it. Cool. It's easy. I, I, I actually can automate that. And this had that same thing. And I don't know if, well, I know you've had this experience. You go to a conference, it's live. And if you're part of the organizing crew too, which you probably have been as well as I have, particularly for educational pieces, right? Um, the recording was flawless and it was there. So we didn't have to go and do the thing where, hey, event management crew, I really need you to make sure to record this and get the video and and, and then it doesn't happen and stuff falls through and then we don't have a recording of what we did. Yeah, the logistics um, of recording the session were a lot simpler this year. A lot simpler. That That was one of the major highlights for me. 
So yeah. we talk about cons? I think, well, it wouldn't be conference without con, would it? <laughs> There's always a little con in conference. Yeah, let's let's go ahead. Let's talk about some of the cons. Okay. So I'll go ahead with the first one because this is the first thing that stood out to me. The conferences landed all at one time. And I, I, I suspect that's kind of a natural thing. And maybe for our industry, we've come from this educational mindset and kind of think about, hey, it's September, October, it's fall. Now let's do a conference. But I know two of them landed on literally on top of each other. And the third was a week before or two weeks before. So the only thing I, I don't want to criticize that. I mean, I think it's great. But at the same time, I think we all need to be cognizant as um, organizing entities to say, okay, yeah, we're going to, we don't want to compete. We want people to come out to all of them. So I would encourage the industry. And you mean, who would have thought we'd have this problem, Adam? We've got three conferences that are worth going to for customer education. No, it's Big a good, time. good problem to have. Yeah, and more right. that we, could, we didn't do. Yeah, I mean, and even though I don't think any of them actually conflicted with each other, it was it was week one, week two, week three. It was uh, Sedmo week one, Skilljar week two, Thought Industries week three. But definitely by the time you get to the third week of uh, customer education conferences, if you've done all three, and, and we did, maybe maybe part of that was our mm-hmm. problem, mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does. It starts to get... Um, it, it gets a little exhausting, even though it's like so much good content. It's all... Uh, you know, as it as it starts to uh, permeate into you, you you start to uh, really feel the the wear and tear of having done that much uh, conferencing in a row. Yeah, we were we were exhausted, and actually, two of them did land right on top of each other. But then the vendors both that were, were organizing them both collaborated and moved them up. That was kudos for that. Yeah, that's, that's what we that's want good. to see. I'm glad we, we saw that level of coordination. Don't, don't fight. We we're going to all of them if we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dave, to your point, like there's only so much time where you can really schedule a conference. Like I think conference season is real and, and, and mm. it's real for a reason there. You, you can't really do the summer because people go on vacation. You can't really do the winter because people are traveling again and it's the holidays and it's really hard to get people to come to a conference. So really what does that leave you with? It leaves you with kind of a band in the spring and a band in the fall. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that May to June and then September to November. Yeah, so you know, I, I recognize that it's really difficult from a scheduling perspective to to get that all to line up. Yep. Um, the we other con. To, yeah, we talked a little bit about about technology. Did you want to talk about the cons there? I think we should. So, what stands out for you is, uh, a, you know, I think you said technology is make or break. Why? Why do you think? Yeah. That? Well, so we talked about some of the make, right? Like when when the technology yep. is used appropriately, it it worked really well um in some ways really we were able to yeah we were able to simulate some of the the things that make conferences really good in terms of doing networking and breakouts and um being able to add interactivity into the sessions so those were really good um but at the same time i think we got to see some contrasts because there were instances where the technology didn't work very well or where it didn't mm-hmm. create a seamless experience so for example you know in an online format when you're jumping between platform and, uh, and, you know, from platform to platform, it can become easy to get lost. Uh, you know, even yeah. for us who are, are mostly online learning professionals, you know, if it wasn't really easy to get, for instance, from, uh, you know, from an agenda to an individual meeting or from session to session, that's, that's drop off, right? That's churn within the conference. So uh-huh. I think we saw a bit of that. And I think that, 
you know, sometimes there were there were barriers in terms of navigation or engagement. Like, you know, we, we saw the difference, for example, between something like, uh, you know, getting on a, a go to meeting where there wasn't any chance to really interact or comment or uh, have a little bit of community around the session. It felt less engaging than some of the other platforms where you did have the opportunity to actually talk with other participants or with the speakers as they were presenting. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it, it's really crucial and we had a different flair and flavor with each one of the events and how things were assembled. Um and what I what I thought was helpful is a lot of the organizations, I think in fact all of them did some kind of technical run through in advance just to make sure things were working kind of, you know, at least we had familiarity with the tools. Um yeah. The only absolutely. caveat is if somebody isn't familiar and they're a presenter, it was really compelling and helpful to have people learn what they're doing first, because sometimes if you're fumbling around, you don't know what to do. It just, it's off putting. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we saw a lot of progress, not perfection in Mm -hmm. these conferences and granted that's probably true in a live format as well. It just looks and feels a little bit different, but you know, I think, I think you talked about this. There was kind of a, there was kind of a pro and a con in terms of all the new technology that people were working with because on the downside, there were definitely some technical technical difficulties. People's internet mm-hmm. went out. My internet went out during two conferences. Yeah, exactly. And, and even though I was trying to back up by having my phone open, you know, if, if you drop, you drop, unfortunately. Um, but on the, yeah. on the plus side, that also meant that, you know, we, we saw this as each of the conferences went on. There was a lot of tolerance, I think, and understanding when you get a group of uh, online learning professionals together for technical difficulties and facilitation. So people were able to kind of roll with the punches more. Yeah, I thought it was actually kind of funny. Uh, somebody commented after the, the last one we did, I think was Thought Industries, where you literally dropped it near the end. And it took you a while to get back on, probably a, a minute or so, where I, we have the good fortune that we do this. And we can kind of fill in the blanks. Um, and we were able to do that and recover it seamlessly. And those of us who do this kind of motion all the time are like, yep, no problems. We're just going to roll with it. It's all good. And everybody was, it was heartening to feel everybody's like, yep, cool. Don't worry about it. But if we were in a different kind of medium, you know, if we were in a professional stage environment and one of us dropped the ball, well, it's a little bit more embarrassing. So that was really cool. I felt, I felt welcomed. Yeah. I felt I, like we had a safety net. Yeah, and I, I think I take this away too for those of us who are, are training professionals, and especially those of us who have moved from, uh, you know, kind of live in-person formats to online. That it's more important than ever to really kind of accept some of these technical hurdles with with grace and with a plume, uh, and really don't let them trip you up because you might be really feeling that pressure and you're not seeing that in-time response from folks always to say like, oh, we get it. You know, the technology is 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 what it is. Uh, everyone's internet drops. You, you might end up feeling really, really, really under pressure uh, and feeling like you've absolutely failed. But I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see that most people are very accepting of that, even though it is very inconvenient and not ideal. Um, and I'm yeah. glad that it didn't, uh, you know, let presenters ruffle, ruffle their their feathers too much. No, it was awesome. And I think you might have seen one or two people get a little unnerved to begin with. I know I did. And then I was like, nope, it's cool. We're, we're Everybody's cool with this. And in fact, I think it was important for all of us to embrace that because this is our lives. We're going to have technical difficulties. So I think we have one more that I brought up. I don't think I know. Um one thing I saw 
happening, you know, fairly consistently, but perhaps not completely consistently, is uh, those are the the, the uh, hosts who did prep prep work and some coaching. It showed. Uh, virtual is really different, and having those run-throughs, and I especially like like the tech technology checks, where we're just like, oh, we're just going to run through this real quick. Everybody get on, and we're going to test and do stuff. That was super cool because I'm like, okay, I have confidence with this specific platform now because you showed it to me once, and I yeah. know what to expect. Especially the ones that aren't uh, super commonly used, right? Like when you're on, like most of us yeah. at this point have used Zoom or GoTo, but even so, still doing a tech check is really valuable. Yeah, and a little coaching always helps because, uh, you know, some some presenters may be presenting for the first time, and and that's really good to to give them like here's some tips and stuff and make that optional if you're not like, you know, a lot like you and I who could pick up and do a presentation, kind of, you know, off the cuff these days because we practice so much. Yeah, I mean, it's true in general when you're talking about conference presentation that. Uh <laughs> practice it, it's it's practice makes perfect i guess or or in the case of uh, an online environment maybe practice makes progress because i don't know <laughs> if uh, i don't know if it's possible to be super super perfect when you've got uh, you know your isp working against you but at the same time I, I agree like i think we we did see because they'd opened up i think to more folks who might have been either presenting uh, in an online format uh, in mm-hmm. that way for the first time uh, People did feel less comfortable, I think, overall. So the extra I think coaching, so too. yeah, the extra coaching went a long way when when they were able to provide it. Yeah, let's let's. Um, I would definitely say let's do more of that uh, next year. Make sure to gauge if everybody's feeling comfortable. If they're not, give them tools to practice. Um, you know, we're we're all out here, and we can help with that too. But uh, I think generally overall, we didn't have problems there. It just seemed like there was a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, new new medium, not as comfortable. Absolutely makes sense. So, Dave, why don't we, you know, we, we've talked about a few of these themes and we've talked about the move to online. I, I'm sure we'll continue to weave these in, but mm-hmm. why don't we give uh, a little bit of a recap of each of the three conferences and maybe talk about some of the highlights and, and things that we, we really uh, enjoyed or observed at the conferences. I dig it. Why don't we start off talking about Sedma Connect? It was the first uh, first of the events, and it happened on uh, September 22nd and 23rd. And again, for time travelers, we're in 2020. Hindsight is with us. <laughs> Chronological is the way to go. <laughs> cool. So, Dave, we this was the first time that we presented our customer education manifesto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very cool. Great. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, is available online at our site, customer.education, if you want to read it or sign it. And we will we'll post, I think, w- at least one of the presentations we did as a, either as a bonus episode or, or a regular episode. But do you want to talk a little bit, Dave, about what, what were your impressions of, of delivering the Customer Education Manifesto? Um, at, well, this was our first time, and I will admit a little bit of trepidation, and I don't know, it's not so much fear. Like I'm, I'm more like an anticipation to see what a broader audience would think about it. Yeah, and again, I know that audience, I call it uh, trepidation. Trepidation. Yeah, it's both trepidation and anticipation. 
you, you said another word earlier earlier that was a 50 cent word i think i'll give you a dollar for the made up ones <laughs> we have a little cool. money I'm Cha-ching. Gonna, yeah i'm gonna <laughs> neologize my way to the bank all right um yeah no i i felt the same way we didn't know we didn't know how it was going to resonate and i think especially to the sedma audience because with with Sedma, even yeah. though at the conference this year they were opening up to a lot more people because it was a free conference this year uh, mm-hmm. without the travel requirement, I think more people were able to attend uh, and they were opening it up beyond just Sedma membership. But, you know, the core of Sedma's membership, there are a lot of really, you know, high flying education leaders, uh, you know, running really you know, multi million dollar education businesses. So mm-hmm. for us to go and, and talk about some of these, uh, Practices that that might feel a little bit spicy, uh, you know, to uh, to people who have built really, really large, solid education businesses. I, I was a little uh, uh, trepidatious too. Yeah, and I think that's important because, in, again, this is our sentiment. Uh, Sedma has been transitioning into looking at the customer education market a lot more. Uh, and I think because they've been around for quite a while, right? Transitioning that's, that's, from what? From education um, services. Well, originally, yes, from education services. Education services, I, th- I would say, is still a big part of it and is a focus. And, and that makes sense to me now when you think about just what you said. You know, these people are running that are attending and presenting commonly are multi-million dollar established mature organizations. They're public companies mostly. Yeah, maybe, very mature it, organizations. Very mature. And then this represents for us a shift uh, not away from that. I mean, that's still there. Education services is, I think, the the arc that we make, the journey we make from customer education into that that world where by the time we're done and we've gone through five or so years of development, you are education services still doesn't mean that you're not customer education, too. That's kind of how I perceive it. Yeah. And I mean, here for, for our listeners, we're, we're kind of using education services and customer education as shorthand. Uh, it's not that those are fundamentally different practices, but there are practices within, like when you run an education services business, you're usually first and foremost thinking about the business and the health of the business and the bookings and margin and revenue that come mm-hmm. with that. Uh, it becomes very operational versus when we say customer education, we're, we're talking about that in some ways, right? Like customer education teams can definitely get into the business of education services, uh, but we're also talking about some differences in philosophy and differences in the type of programs that are that are encompassed. So there's, there's, there's meaningful overlap, but there are different ways of, of doing things. And one thing that I, I think is interesting in general about the Sedma conference is for the past few years, they have really been thinking about the future of customer education. So I know... Mm-hmm. Last year, um, we weren't able to attend in in Nashville, but we were uh, we were on on video Virtually. and part of the, yeah exactly we were we were sort of there, um, thinking about the idea of customer education uh, rebranding itself in a way in the world of customer success. And and this year we had a similar keynote from our uh, our old friend Bill Cashard. Uh, always love hearing what he has to say, yeah. and um, he was talking about the next big thing in customer education. Yeah, this was this was critical, and you know, we always love hearing from Bill. And we're, what he did in this was identified this trend towards companies investing in learning in learning businesses to build new job skills and markets. So the trend is that 
it's becoming a lot more common for companies to spin up parallel brands devoted to teaching new skills. You know, I saw this at, at Gainsight where we had our product training that my team led, but then we had a whole thought leadership and soft skills type training where it was, the goal was to edu educate a CSM, a customer success manager on the kinds of things they knew before they even have a product, right? That's, that's super important. Yeah. So teaching those skills is something that's going to help drive adoption of products because it's, it's kind of change management, isn't it? In a, in a way, it's also, I think it's market development. And, and that's the point mm -hmm. that Bill was really trying to, to get at, in, in my opinion. Like when, when Bill, so Bill, by the way, is the, he's the general manager of, of LearnDot. Um, and LearnDot is a part of Service Rocket. So he's, he's worked with a lot of companies and organizations who have not just built successful software products, but in many cases are building these standalone or adjacent learning businesses uh, on top of the software product. So for example, yeah. if you are an open source software company and you uh, need a kind of a, a big cadre of skilled developers to really develop in that community, it makes a ton of sense to start building uh, you know, a, a business that actually trains those developers to build those technical skills. And I think that's something that's moving, uh, you know, kind of it's it's permeating the industry more, uh, mm -hmm. and especially, you know, the larger uh, companies get. And Bill gave some really good examples that I, I will not cannibalize for the sake of the podcast today. Good. But really talking no spoilers. About, exactly. You got you got to watch. You got to watch the recording. Um, but I think his examples are really salient in in the sense that it's it's not just about providing product training. And we say this in, in our manifesto, right? The first the first principle is really around teaching to value and the industry, not just teaching features. Um, but it's not just about teaching people all the, the the features and technical requirements of your product. It's giving people these broader skills, skills that aren't being taught in universities and colleges today uh, that yeah. will really help people get placed for jobs, that will help people uh, become champions, uh, and really ultimately will also help people use and adopt these these new technologies and and products. So yeah, I think it's I, I think there's there is definitely something to this trend. There is, and I know that I can tell you that I've been thinking about it now at Outreach even that there is in our market we're helping sales leaders to envision how you use a new product a new product that's about that goes way beyond what you would normally do if you're just calling calling people cold. Um, so this is really cool. Let, let's keep moving here, though. So I think you attended a session on Seven Habits of Inclusive Leaders. Can you I did, tell us more yeah. about that? Yeah, that, that session was from Melissa Majors. And there, this was kind of a, another trend within the conferences that we saw this year. And, and I'm sure that this happened in uh, all sorts of conferences, not just in customer education ones. But overall, big trend towards including some concepts around diversity, engagement, mm -hmm. inclusion, and belonging. And, and no doubt this is in response to the shifts that we've seen this year, uh, the the attention that uh, has, has come around social justice issues, the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement, um, everything that's going on in our country and, and in the world has also focused that attention back in the workplace. How can we make sure that historically underrepresented uh, voices are, are heard and, and not, just, not just there, but really heard and engaged and, and making decisions? So ultimately, you know, these these sessions weren't really focused on customer education best practices, but their skills and behaviors and mindsets that all leaders can drive. And it's important for us as as customer education leaders 
to not just understand what diversity and inclusion and engagement and belonging are, but to really incorporate those into our own our teams and practices, right? Like that's that's how we're going to move forward as uh, not just as an industry, but but frankly as a as a society. Yeah, I think this this is the kind of subject matter that always need to be included in these events because it's a reminder. You know, we're we're more than just education. There's themes of diversity, inclusion, that need to permeate all of our content. We need to we need to serve everybody, and, and we need to actually understand those biases too. So, so that, that session was really cool. And I can tell you one that, uh, I think, did you attend, uh, Alessandra Marinetti's, um, session as well? Oh, certification? Yes. My, my dear friend, Alessandra, I hope she'll join us on the podcast sometime soon. Yes. Alessandra, we have an open invitation for you to, to talk with us. Um, she did a great case study about box, which I attended and, you know, these, these are the kinds of sessions and we're going to talk about some of these throughout, these are the kind of sessions that are very helpful, particularly when you're in a moment of need. You know, we always talk about that, meet, meeting somebody in their moment of need. I am consuming this kind of information. And again, with C-Lab, we're always networking, we're always learning, and we're always thankful for leaders telling us what their experiences are. Um, she talked about how Box built a live event-based certification program and how they adapted it to an online format this year, right? This, is, this was really cool and a good reminder for... You know, those are who are trying to drive less technical skills and more focused on certification as the driver for adoption, behavior change, market maturity. You know the play. I keep thinking about HubSpot, right? Yeah. When you put out a, a badge or a cert out there and it's lightweight, it's not proctored and all that kind of jazz. Well, and here you you're right. Like the, goal, the goal is change management in some ways, right? Uh -huh. Like if I get box certified, I'm not just getting certified on how to say – you know, develop on top of Box because that's, you know, Box isn't a, a supremely technical product in the way that, um, I don't know, right. throw throw an example out there. <laughs> I can't think of a, a good technical product off the top of my head. But um, really, like, a, as a Box admin, and, and it was a, an admin certification where they really got their start, it, the, the goal here is to drive change management and adoption of Box uh -huh. in the organization and to really create best practices. So, and in fact, uh, you know, in our, our Slack certified program uh, for our admin certification, we try to drive a lot of those skills as well, even though there are more technical components as well. Uh, I think yeah. it's super, super important, but it also, again, comes back to market development and drives maturity within a, a category, right? As the more box users, advocates, champions there are out there who can really show all the things that box can do um, and how box can really help you uh, you know, within your organization, drive more organizational agility. Well, that's that's a boon to them, right? That's that's good for exactly. That's good for Box. It's good for their customers. Yeah, so I really they, like yes. Yeah. I really like this session. I think the the thing that I would say pins it down for me is that certification is a spectrum. It's a continuum. You know what you and I have done on the high end for admins and and those that are developers is develop a program that's going to really put them through the paces or the it's more of an accountability and assurance to a, a company that someone's certified and they know the full spectrum of what our products can do from a technical basis. But then there's that sweet spot of, well, if I just go through training, it's boring. Let's have something in the middle. And and that's what I'm always thinking about. How do you say and, – and think about the, our customers. Many of them are very competitive with the gaming gamified nature of things. If you give people something that I can take a badge and they can promote themselves and say, I've done this, I've, I've learned that – People are hungry for it, particularly right now, because they've got that time. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of gamification, Daniel Quick from uh, Thought Industries gave mm-hmm. a really good gamification session at, at Sedma as well, and I, I hope he'll he'll re-deliver it again sometime because the uh, what I liked about it is it really bridged theory and practice very well. Oh, yeah. uh, he brought a lot of the research around gamification to bear, but he also gamified the session and he made amazing <laughs> use of Mentimeter uh, to really make the session interactive and, and also helped us dispel some of the myths around uh, what is you know meaningful gamification and game-like elements versus what are just some of the trimmings of, of uh, gamification that don't actually work or drive results. I have to say I love this because I I was um, you know adjunct professor that taught game design for nearly ten years, and what I learned from that and what I see now propagating into our marketplace or permeating everything is the sensibility of well, what games do, how games teach you well, and Daniel summarized that really well. He he brought in the elements and the key is and I think what Daniel did a really good job was was applying that finesse to say we don't have to make this silly or trite or you know forced it feels natural yeah absolutely and you know that that maybe pivots us into talking a little bit about the role of the vendors this year because daniel was representing thought industries we saw vendors play more of a role in sedma this year than they ever have before uh, we saw presentations mm-hmm. from Skilljar, CloudShare, Raven360, Caveon, Criterion, Strigo, SureSkills, Thought Industries. Uh, there were a lot of folks there. It's and a lot. Yeah, and I, I think some of the sessions, like Daniel's, were focused more on industry best practices, and, and that was a good way to tie in vendors to the content. Uh, I think I'd like to see... I'd like to see them make a little bit more room for practitioners and, and folks leading um, programs of various sizes, like, for instance, the... The panel with Christy Hollingshead, Eric Karpus, mm-hmm. Wes Everson, Sharon Castillo, talking about their programs that uh, Sumeru from our, our customer education Slack channel led. That was a, a really good way to hear these like hands-on, practitioner-based like folks in the field. What are they doing to build their programs from from scratch? And I think sometimes yeah. there was a little bit of a tension between the vendor-led content, which you know some of it was was more neutral, some of it was a little bit more focused on on their products. Um, and then just hearing from folks who are who are talking about their programs, I think that's a it's a tricky balance to to hit, and I I think we're going to see them continue to iterate back and forth on that. Yeah, I look forward to that. the The things that I value more than anything is those. Well, and, and face it, what we're here to do with with C Lab is it's not about us; it's about our network, and it's about us as a network sharing experiences and building a a vertical. You know, customer education is new and not new as I said before, but what we're doing through these conferences is we're finding the others and then we're trying all to give each other voice and space to learn. In a way, that's really good. It's almost as if we were trying to connect. Oh, okay. (laughs) Why don't we take the, um, uh, take this into the next connect skill jar connect 2020 Um, yes and we we just released uh, (laughs) our live episode that we did so dave you and i did a a live episode of c lab we did a mailbag yeah uh which at this point should be in everyone's feeds you can see it we we mentioned there would be a part two still Mm -hmm. on the docket we're gonna do it um because there were so many questions that were submitted to us in the skill jar connect slack channel that we did not have time to answer all of them but uh Dave, what did, what did you think? I mean, there was a lot of interactivity in this one. They used Hopin as a platform. There was a Slack yeah. channel. There's a lot going on. 
Yeah, I, the thing, again, I'd said early on is I really, I think we can give Linda attribution for this. The hop-in hop find was, was great. What made this conference for me was the fact that I walked away from it actually having talked to people like I love to do at a conference. Um, Hopin had a basically like kind of a chat roulette platform or function, and <laughs> maybe you, hopefully, hopefully not like chat roulette. It well, well no, in a good way. It, oh, okay, um, yeah. It, it was. Um, sorry, I got interrupted here by people walking through the facility <laughs> through my house. That's work, um, from, that's work from home life. Work, work from home. Um, what what was cool is that you could opt in to a, a virtual chat function, and you would be randomly paired with somebody else, which at one point was you, at one point was Linda, at one point was Ashish. Um, but then it's pretty the funny that you and I got paired with each other. I know it was great. It was wonderful because we needed to talk anyway. You know, how did it, how did it go? What did you think? But um, it was initially like three minutes, and I think it opened up to about six or more at the end. And I had some really good, insightful conversations. And, and met some people that I'm still talking to. So kudos for that find. I think that was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually used uh, Hopin as well for an event we hosted earlier this year called the, uh, it was called Slack Tour. So we did a bit of a oh, virtual cool. tour. So that's the first time I was exposed to Hopin and I was super impressed with it as a platform. So I was, I was happy so to see it again. Yeah, and um, we have new friends. And the other thing that we think they did well, I, I would say, is is the content track. You know, yeah. Like you were saying, what, uh, get, why don't you expand on this? Because I think you brought this up previously and you can tie into what you'd said before. I did. And uh, with Skilljar, they used to have just one track because it was, a, it was a smaller conference. Everyone was in one room. And the only time that we would really do breakouts were for something like uh, roundtables. And roundtables mm-hmm. have been a part of mm-hmm. Skilljar Connect since, since the very first one. But this time they actually decided to divide the event up. So kind of in recognition of the fact that it's not just customer education leaders going. Uh, you know, we don't just want to hear yeah. the same things every year about strategy and monetization and metrics and, and all that good stuff. We, there, there are more and more practitioners from the teams coming. And that, that might be trainers, that might be communication, or sorry, community managers, might be instructional designers, LXDs. So I really appreciated that they thought this year to divide it into the kind of the leadership, uh, you know, general customer education management track and the content track. And the content track was extremely well attended. Every, I, I think oh, yeah. every single time slot, the content track probably had twice as many folks in there as the leadership track, which is super cool. It's extremely cool. We want that. So what are some of the sessions? Maybe we'll get, let's go through some of the sessions that we found uh, at, that were highlights. Yeah, absolutely. We couldn't attend everything. We had to talk too. And that was one of the downsides for us is that in all three events we were talking. So sadly, we missed some. But the great thing is they're all recorded so we can go back and catch up on what we missed. Well, one of the one of the best reviewed ones, uh, a lot of my team members went to these conferences, and this was one that all of them said was fantastic. So I can't wait to yeah. catch up on it. It was actually the one that went at the exact same time as us. It was Debbie uh, Smith from Braze uh, talking about instructional writing best practices. That was a huge hit. Yeah, I heard a lot of great things about it. And it's one on my backlog to watch again. Uh, but I, I obviously, it, it it's brought to the attention that instructional design and and writing is something we all want to get better at. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, It's like a very core, very core skill 
very course for those of us in con- uh, in customer education. And I think one thing that Debbie did really well, um, uh, at least from from what I've heard, I need to actually watch it, but I'm sure she did it well because she's a fountain of practical knowledge. Uh, is is you know, it's sometimes at a at a conference, it's really hard to find that balance between talking at a really high level and never diving into the substance, uh, versus being so tactical that mm-hmm. what you're saying doesn't really resonate with the audience because it's it's not their use case or it's not their specifics. And I think Debbie uh, always does a really good job of finding the balance between the two of them. And it sounded like she she struck gold again this time. Yeah, very cool. Highly recommended. Yeah. Another one that I liked um, was the content creation at scale. And that was Randon and Kyle from Jamf. Uh, basically, they were walking through... If you are a growth stage company and you are creating and iterating a vast amount of content, as you know, for most of us in tech, that's what we're doing. It's a huge problem uh, that we're always faced with. And so they showed how to incorporate agile processes for content development and how to iterate on that and prioritize updates over time. So, you know, that's that's something that's a very real problem for all of us. Yeah, uh, I can highlight a couple other episodes that I thought were really cool. Uh, Craig yeah, Morrison and Jeff. Like? Craig Morrison, Jeff Resnick of OSIsoft did a session on training a global audience. And this is really relevant for me now because, again, I'm you and I have both been in different phases at different parts of our journey. And where I'm at right now is I'm looking at globalization, internationalization. I've got other markets to hit uh, at Outreach. So I was really tuned into this. I think they did a great job. Gave me things that were actionable. I can immediately go back and start thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm in the weeds with this already. So great work to that one. Um, another couple I really appreciated was uh, the LinkedIn one was fun. You know, the, the Stephanie's, Stephanie Hurst and Pellegrino and Sonia Solani of uh, LinkedIn are talking about collaborating with basically education teams across different product lines. Yeah, because so they, they, they have recruit LinkedIn recruiter, LinkedIn yeah. sales. Yeah, and they have to figure out how to still have a coherent education strategy. Right, and I think what's even cooler, Adam, is that well, LinkedIn is you know public company. You know, they're they're pretty big, owned by Microsoft. And hearing the themes of customer education at that level of scale is super important to us. Because again, we talked about, you know, educational services is one thing, but customer education doesn't stop after you make it as a public company. It has a function and typically it's more of like a customer success function, but that was really fun. I like that. And then I'll give your team some praise, um, Liana and April, um, on, you know, how, how are you assembling content to support your certification program, which, my team listened to, and they're like, hey, this is cool. We're going to do similar things. So, hey, thanks for the <laughs> – thank your team for the help. It was just a really good session. Yeah, well, I, I'm always super proud of my team, and I was really glad to hear what uh, April and Leanna had to say about building the Slack certified program. So, yeah, definitely That's kudos fun. to them. Okay. Shall we close this out by talking about the third of our events, uh, Thought Industries Cognition? Let's talk about cognition. What was different about this one? Well, we iterated on our six principles of customer education. That's that's uh, the six principles. Wait, are we agile? Manifesto. Are we doing agile? What principle is that again? <laughs> it's one of them. It's one of them. Is that, is that five? I don't know. I don't have them I in think front it's of me. Five. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we did that, and that was uh, it was actually pretty meaningfully different from the first time we presented at Sedma. But both times we presented, what we really tried to do was to highlight the stories of customer education programs that embodied each of these principles, and we mm-hmm. we mix them up and we change them between sessions because there's more than one program that does each of those principles well. Uh, but in this one, we also tried to do a little bit more uh, storytelling and make it more imagistic. And, and that, to me, felt like a, a change for the better. Yeah, we we were all over this one, both between us. I think we had our joint session. Um, we did, I know I did a session, a, a panel on defining KPIs for success. I think you did two more, didn't you? Uh, I did one more. I did one more one that more. was like, uh, yeah, you, you've created a customer education program. Now what? was was my panel yeah and that that's a good question as I, I sometimes i feel that you know you get you built all this stuff and now okay what's next um yeah well and that was interesting too because a lot of the folks who were at that that panel were people who were I mean, they hadn't just built a customer education program they they actually were leading fairly mature programs so there were some people yeah. who had just built it and, and now what but it was it was interesting to hear from people who are at different stages different maturity levels and, uh, you know, at, at that point, now what looks very different from, from team to team? It does. And it's really interesting. You know, for some of the key sessions we attended, one that immediately stuck out of my mind, actually, there were two that stuck out of my, my mind, Mark Roberge, uh, former CRO of HubSpot, and then Daniel Quick's uh, customer education playbook, to me, were, were big deals. Uh, the yeah, the well, HubSpot you, presentation. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to ask. What did you take away from HubSpot? That one was more, it was fun. It was more of like this casual interview, right? And I think, um, was it not Barry leading that session? Yeah, I think it was Barry and Mark, Mark talking to each other, yeah. And they're just kind of talking That's like Barry, the yeah. CEO of uh, Thought Industries. Yeah, and hello, Barry. Thanks for being on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel for, if we have any new listeners, I'm just trying to explain who who everyone is. Who are these people are, yeah. Um, going to have to go back and listen. But um, this was fun for me and I just kind of let it wash over me and we we hear about the HubSpot story and I think they're they're novel I'm not I'm not going to spoil this for you I'm just going to put a pin in it and say this is one that I would pay attention to because it really interrelates this cross-functionality how we all have to collaborate together to achieve an educational outcome a goal right and I think one of the things that HubSpot did quite well and is still you know there uh, is they had this no light certification program that anybody can get. They and in the the story he told about how he had a conversation with a person who loved it so much, who loved what they were doing so much, and was such a fan of their program. And he's he said, I was scrambling around to figure out who this person was, and I realized they're not even a customer. They just think they're a customer. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah. how aspirational, Adam, is that? That and I've seen this before. I've had I've had one experience like this before, where I'd had an open program, and I found a student who was so passionate and so interested in what we were doing that they learned everything up up to the point of becoming certified and an evangelist for it. So that was a fun. That that's kind of like my takeaway. I'm probably missing a lot of the details and the things that he was talking about. No, it's just really it's just interesting to hear stuck. his story. Yeah, exactly. Like it how was, how they really. Because we always we always hold up HubSpot as an example of someone who's doing customer education really well, and and really yeah. I think doing it from a marketing and advocacy perspective, because they've created a certification program that is really helping to build an industry category around uh, their their program, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this, you know. Anyway, 
I won't go too far into that. Yes, definitely check that out. They actually have the um, the recordings up on the Thought Industries Cognition site. Skilljar mm-hmm. has theirs posted too, so you should definitely check those out. With the Customer Education Playbook, Daniel Quick session, oh, yeah. again, always great to hear from Daniel Quick. And what I really liked, uh, and again, there actually is, there's a piece of content marketing associated with this as well. You can search for the Thought Industries Customer Education Playbook. But what Daniel did was break down how to build a customer education program into a framework that you can use sequentially to actually build a practice. And he had questions at each step that you could ask that would help you, uh, you know, kind of build the program at each step and know that you were heading in the right direction. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. I mean, we, we don't have to read all of these bullets and you, you uh, enumerated them in our notes, uh, but things like, hey, the first step, define your goals, uh, define your success for your customer. Uh, I'm not going to read this whole list, but things like, you know, educate your team on who will actually deliver the education. Yeah, that was an interesting one. That's not one that I would have mm. included if I were doing a 12 a step program. But I thought it was a really interesting one and, and, and valid, like the way that they framed it, because your team Extremely. has to have some level of subject matter expertise uh, to actually be creating the content. So I think like when I think about these these 12 steps, like some interesting pieces for me were number one, it aligns with the idea that you and I talk about a lot that you really should have a strategy and a goal coming into your program. Because a lot yeah. of people start really organically, they just start developing a bunch of content, and then they kind of attach themselves to a goal or success criterion later. Uh, but here, they're saying, if you want to start a customer education program from scratch, here's how to really define what your program is here to do. What is your charter? What what do you exist for? Uh, and how does that tie to ultimately what's going to make your customer successful. And they don't even start talking about content and format, which is usually the first question people ask. Those don't even show up until uh, steps four, five, six. And you don't actually even create any content until step eight. So it's really, I think, a good reinforcement uh, and a way to help bypass some of the questions that people ask initially that I think are the wrong questions to ask. Like, don't start talking about content until you start talking about what your program's here to do. Yeah. And I think this is Adam missed a lot. Um, One of the things that I am ever thankful for from my career is I've had an opportunity to be a um, you know a Fortune 100 level consultant, and you you think this way all the things that that Daniel had listed out, you know you just don't go jump in and start doing, but in reality a lot of people who find their way as an accidental customer education professional professional I'm looking at Cami Bean's book here an accidental instructional designer so. we find ourselves into this and then we just start doing and that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't go back and do this, but I, I really truly love this. And if this, this should pr- propagate up to the level of customer success programs and leaders in customer success who are thinking about customer education and it gives a good template and combined, I would say with, and, and Daniel pointed us, pointed to us and, and it was fortunate that he did her, his right before we did ours, where we go into, now we're going to talk about these six principles. And that again, speaks to kind of like step eight and beyond, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. all in this ecosystem performing together. Let's figure out what all we're trying to actually do. What are the metrics? What are the things our leaderships wants to do? And then we have a framework or a manifesto that guides us to achieving that goal in a repeatable scientific, in fact, way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's just nice to see more, more frameworks, more courseware, just more, more resources out there for someone building a customer education program. 
Because, you know, only a few years ago, if you were building a customer education program and you weren't doing it within the lens of education services, you had very few places to start. And now we're starting to see much more of a a proliferation around uh, around this area. And in fact, Skilljar also uh, launched something around this. They they launched a a customer education certification program that includes courseware and, and an assessment. So. That was a really strong theme, I think, from the conferences this year. Is that yeah. now? Now the vendors are here to play, and they're really they're they're doing sort of what Bill Kashard pointed out at the beginning of the Sedma conference. That they're they're starting to build skills among practitioners and and the leaders of the future, so that they can run more effective customer education programs, and hopefully, in return, will become the future customers of companies like Skilljar, like Thought Industries, like uh, a lot of the other customer education platforms that we see out there. Yeah, and actually, the, the the final note I I can think of for this is I really encourage all of the the hosts to consider you know the price point for these conferences. But one thing that I think was a palpable change like none none of them were expensive I I don't think, uh, and some were free. But what's the the palpable change here is that they're open. I don't have yes. to necessarily be a customer of your platform, and and I'm gonna be adamant about this, my friends, and those of you who are my friends of vendors, that's important to us. Because if you're cut out because you're not a customer, but you're giving us these awesome stuff, and, and this excites us, and it's a prospecting play. It's, it's, I might not become your customer today, maybe tomorrow, I don't know, or I can evangelize you. You're, you're doing the right thing by making yeah. this an open, accessible platform and yeah by all means show us your platform and what it does we want to see that too um but that was big kudos big kudos to all of you for keeping open events thank you yes thank you absolutely um and i mean i guess uh speaking of of inclusion and and openness that that was a i think that was another highlight of the uh, cognition conference is that they had verne myers who was the vp of inclusion strategy from netflix and so again kind of continuing that that trend of focusing more on diversity and inclusion and belonging within the frame of a customer education conference i thought was i thought was good like i'm glad to see Mm us opening dialogue about these issues and continuing to talk about them and continuing to make them top of mind because it's one of those things where you you can hear it once you can hear it twice you can go to uh, your company's unconscious bias training, but you've got to hear these things so many times for them to really internalize it and to implement the type of change that that's needed. So I'm really I was glad to see the focus there. Yeah, and that's actually they, it, it was great. I sat in on that too. I, I we can't hear this enough. We have to keep bringing it into our DNA because it's not just about one thing. It's about hey, you might you might have forgotten that the people with disabilities are going to your website and you need to provide, you know, closed captioning or, you know, audio only feeds and things like that. So it's yeah, thank accessibility you. is is huge. And right. it's something that we, we do. We overlook uh, far too often. So, Dave. Yeah, it's we did time. a lot of conferences. Are you are you mm-hmm. exhausted? I'm exhausted. I am. Um, well, yeah, I'm exhausted, but I'm energized too. I, I think that just seeing Indeed. kind of the groundswell of support around customer education and seeing how these conferences grow every year uh, really, really shows to me that, you know, we're continuing to build a really, really strong, healthy community in customer education. Right. And we, we are really, truly thankful to each uh, host. Um, Sedma, thank you. Skilljar, thank you. Thought Industries, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for including in, us in these. Yeah, in, thank in, you so actually much. Actually, a prominent position. It was really helpful. 
And something else that I, I at least want to share is that for you as listeners in the audience, we, we do this and, and we're, we're networking. We're, we're learning. We're growing. We want to hear your voice. If, if you want to connect with us and you have things that you want to share, or maybe you did a talk at one of these sessions and you'd like to revisit that and improve on it, iterate on it, or have a conversation about it, reach out to us. We would love to have you on the show. And speaking of reaching out to us, if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at http colon slash slash customer.education, where you can find show notes and other material. On Twitter, I am at Avramescu. And I'm at Dave Darrington. Special, Special thanks thank- to Alan Coda. Hey, you want to thank him? <laughs> I want to thank him. Alan Coda, hey, thanks, my friend. Our theme music rocks. <laughs> and if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, leave a positive review because that helps us even more. It really helps expose our podcast to other people and keep this thing going. And to our audience, thanks for joining us today. Get out there, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>